We are getting close to wrapping up First Timothy. Glad you've been with us on this journey. If you have any questions about uh, our church, you can get most of the answers just by going to our website, which is OurSafeHarbor.com. But you can also email me at Patrick at OurSafeHarbor.com. Glad you're with us. If you are one of the churches or small groups or men's groups, uh, ladies' Bible studies, whatever, that are using these on a weekly basis, thank you. That means a lot to us. We never require a payment and we never hound anybody for it. Those who can give, they give, and that allows us to keep going. So we're very grateful. Let's get started with 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 21. It, it's a real actual break in uh, the flow of what Paul was saying to Timothy, but it doesn't earn its own chapter break. Please remember the chapters and verses were added after, long after the Bible was written. And do yourself a favor and get a Bible that has no chapter or verse divisions and just read it and see how that changes your experience. I think you will be amazed. So he says this, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without, in, without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. This was um, a constant issue in the days of uh, Jesus, those first few centuries, and all the way up until now, now. You can be in many churches where it really doesn't matter what the bulk of the people feel God is moving them toward. It's all in the control of one, two, or three families that have uh, special status there. Perhaps they've been there for the longest or they're biggest givers or they're the biggest complainers, but somehow they've got that congregation by the throat. And so the bulk of the congregation can't really move in any direction without their say-so. There's this favoritism. There is more of a communitarian um, character to the church that Jesus established. There's not the top down. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of chapters of a lot of books dedicated to who was in charge of who and who lived in what land and who could do what. This is radically different. When Christ came, he went out of his way to touch the people who were untouchable, to talk to the people you could not talk to, to uh, bestow favors upon the people that you were supposed to hate. He broke every single barrier possible. And then he said, follow me. And he even looked at his people and he said, now I come among you and I'm the son of God, but I'm serving you. And that among us, it will not be that hierarchy. He, he talks about how the Gentiles or the unbelievers have those that lord it over them and say it's for their own good. He said, among you, it must not be so. So any authoritarianism, uh, a preacher just cracking the whip from the pulpit and, and directing things or an elder or bishop or board or group that says, this is what you're going to believe and this is how you're going to believe it. And this is when you're going to believe it. And this is where you're going to believe it just doesn't smack of being even related to what Jesus was doing. And Paul here tells Timothy, don't do things out of favoritism. Don't do things out of partiality. 
And that's not just class. That's also power. Who has the power here? Do we kowtow to them? Do we adjust our behavior because they're in the room? Do we, you know, how do, how do we handle the fact that most people live in hierarchies? They go to work where they have bosses and their bosses have bosses and those bosses have bosses and they have uh, families where everybody has to do what and whatever wants them to do. They, they live in hierarchies, but they come into the church where uh, we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the rest of us are brothers and sisters. And that communitarianism can, can seem like chaos to many because they'll say, but, but who makes the decisions? And Paul's already dealt with this in the book of Romans, has he not? Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through chapter 15, verse 7. Who makes the decision? You do. In full conscience before Almighty God, you make these decisions and you don't make them for other people. You go about doing good. If you're busy going about doing good, you don't need to worry about how do we keep proper order and keep chaos out and keep make sure everybody believes exactly the same thing. Frankly, if God wanted rubber stamp kids and rubber stamp believers, he could have designed it that way, but he did not. But there are other aspects of favoritism. A young minister might show favoritism to a pretty young lady in the, in the church, wherever he is, or the synagogue, and that would be wrong. He might show favoritism in any other way, is what I'm saying. doesn't have to be power. doesn't have to be position. It can be preference. You know, you might just like hanging around the super fit people. Okay, I don't, I don't see if there's any problem with your wanting to do that. But please remember, when you make decisions, that you don't make decisions that favor your buddies because they're your buddies. If the decision favors your buddies, it's because it's the right decision to make. So how hard is this going to be to practice? Incredibly hard, very hard. Every single day of your life, hard. So um, be careful. Ride herd on your own preferences, your own biases, your own prejudices, yes, we, we've got them, even though we may not think we have them. We might even deny that we have them, and yet they pop up and surprise us. We find out, oh, I did, I did. Got to change that. He says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. This, this is a great verse, and yet it misses us because it uses idioms referring to customs that we do not have. So, what is he saying? He's saying, in some ways, what the Buddhists say when they say, stick to the middle path. Because among the Jews, they had, here's a shock, extremes. Every community has extremes. And Christians, Muslims, they have extreme communities. Well, they believed, the Jews at the time, that there were two ways of handling sin. One was to just jump in there and root it out, the laying on of hands. That's another, there are other ways of you laying on hands. So we're going to get to that in a bit because some of you are already going, wait, wait. Yeah, we'll get there. The other is don't, don't do anything. Just let it go. Let's just, um, let's not talk about it. Um, 
he's saying don't don't run to the extremes. But there's another way to interpret the verse, and that's what I want to get to, because this is the one you hear most often, and that is the laying on of hands as in bestowing a spiritual gift on someone or ordaining them. And it, this verse works that way. Frankly, we have no way of knowing which way Paul meant Timothy to take this. We can only assume that Timothy knew, most likely because Timothy had written to Paul or had visited him, and they'd had discussions about a particular person, group of people, an incident, and how to handle it, and Timothy would know exactly what he was talking about. But why would you be hesitant in ordaining people? Seriously, would you ever ask that question? Because when you ordain people, they then are seen by others as having a special dispensation from God. They are speaking for God. And if they do harm to others, you have been complicit in that you didn't do your due diligence before you laid on of hands. I, I do not come from a tradition that requires a laying on of hands to ordain somebody. In fact, uh, the traditions that I come from, and I have to say plural because there have been a few along the way, uh, they're not really uh, into the word ordain. They believe, as, as I do, that all Christians are priests, all Christians are saints, and you were ordained when you were baptized. When you came to Christ in active faith, you, you were already ordained. Get to work. But there are certain jobs, and he's talked about, Paul has talked about some of these jobs, that require us to say, all right, we're going to get Stephen and these people to take care of the widows. We're going to get these men <coughs> to help deal with any issues that pop up in our community. Well, that sort of thing, be really careful who you put in. In my, uh, in my experience, I have seen many amazing, great people be totally ruined because they were given positions of power and it, it changed them immediately. Uh, they weren't who they were anymore. And that's um, tragic, but I doubt that that surprises a single one of you. We need to be exceptionally careful about this and our leaders need to be 100% accountable to their people. At our safe harbor, for example, I've been asked, um, I don't know how many times, do you have elders? And we've talked about this as we've gone through Timothy. We'll talk about it again as we go through Titus, that this was a Jewish uh, system and that it was also being put into the Greek system, but it probably didn't look anything like the modern day eldership or the church board. So no, but we do have a board. Uh, the board at our safe harbor it consists of five people who are very intent on making sure that we are pristine in our finances. Everything is open. Everything is moral. Everything is legal. Everything can handle, no matter how much light is shown upon this, that we can account for every penny and do it with pride that we are handling the Lord's money in a, in a very honorable way, that nobody is getting rich off this thing and that we're not stacking up funds. We are passing them through to the poor, to those struck by um, disasters like Hurricane Ian back in, in late September, early October. So again, 
we have that. But what else do I have? <clears throat> well, we have the core. Because we are a soundstage, uh, we, can, we can host anywhere around 65, 75 at the soundstage, fairly comfortably, more if necessary. And then we have thousands around the world. Uh, right now, it's very hard for us to nail it down. We believe that each week we are getting about 3,000 viewers. Uh, it may be up to 4,000 uh, when we start tracking some other things. You don't need to get into all the metrics. Here's the point. So who am I accountable to? Well, I'm accountable to that core. How do you get in the core? You show up at the soundstage. We don't vote you in. You're there. You work. You set out the chairs. You greet visitors. You uh, hop up to do a communion devotional if nobody's made a video for us that week, that sort of thing. You just join the work and then you're in the core. And this also happens when people make videos for us or when I know them, such as the, the sweet, wonderful people in Spokane that had me up there, loved it, absolutely didn't love them. And if they want to know anything or they want to make suggestions or they have any questions, absolutely. They're part of this work. And then you're part of this work. If, you, if you've absorbed what we're doing and you're taking the good news of Jesus out there by serving others in love, you're part of it too. You're part of the core. So I'm responsible to all of you. Half of my church is always awake because it's around, it's around the world church. And I'm responsible. You send in questions, I answer them. I believe I can say that I've answered 99.9% .9 of all my email for years. And if I've missed yours, I want to apologize right now and ask you to resend it. Okay? So that accountability has got to be throughout the group. Um, so when you lay on of hands, be careful who you either accuse of wrong or ordain, whichever one this one is. And be very, very careful, he says, that you keep yourselves pure and you don't join in the sins of others. Now, let's go back at this verse again. Uh, because it, it's not because it's critical we understand exactly which context this verse is in, but because it absolutely applies to you and me and our lives right now, today, regardless of which way it goes. If it's talking about do not accuse people of sin and be too quick to draw lines and shove them out and say they're not of us, well, absolutely, it is super easy to do that. It's super easy to join the mob. You know, look at Twitter. It doesn't take anything for somebody to say something and then whoom, the mob comes. Don't join the mob. He's saying keep yourself from the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Even if it looks like they're doing it for a righteous cause, you don't pile on. You don't join that. And the same with a, hey, here's great people. We're going to give them power and let that. We're just going to run and follow after them. Always keep your power of choice. Always keep your power over your own decision. For that is truly your only power. Any of us, no matter what our plans are, can be destroyed by one virus or one lawsuit. But your power of decision is the one thing they cannot take away. Viktor Frankl's amazing small book, A Man's Search for Meaning, 
should be read once or twice a year. Just to help you remember, you get to choose who you are, no matter what else is happening. Well, verse 23 has caused some real angst in some in places. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. First of all, just pointing out, Paul did not um, offer to heal him because by this time, Paul wasn't healing people. It used to be they could send him cloths and scraps and he'd touch those and they'd go to people and they'd be healed. Not now. Why? Well, there are a lot of theories about that, but the main theory that I tend to buy is that it wasn't necessary now. The gospel had gotten started. It now was being spoken in all of the tongues of the area. It was being moved out and forward. And that initial burst of creative uh, power and that that was no longer part of the plan. The plan now was to do things the old hard way, one person at a time, one act of love at a time, where we may never ever see the needle move, but God does. So there's that. But here's the other. There are many, many Christians who believe in a, as an article of faith that we are never to have alcohol. I, I have uh, had, he recently passed, uh, well into old age, a dear friend who would not even take NyQuil because it had alcohol in it. Uh, I didn't ever tell him that he was wrong because he made his decision and, and that's fine. He, you get to do that. Is it a sin for a Christian to have alcohol? Well, obviously not. Throughout scripture, uh, God uses wine and beer as a, uh, a symbol of celebration and joy. So, no, he can't be anti. Well, then what about, um, what, what about alcoholics? And what about, you see, there's that extreme again, isn't it? To an alcoholic, one drink is too many and five is not enough. It's a real issue. It's a condition. If you want to call it a disease, there are arguments for and against. And I'm, I do not enter those arguments. I want you to choose the one that works for you. But is God anti-alcohol? Well, no, no. He is absolutely at all times, in all places, opposed to drunkenness. And yeah, that would include getting a buzz on. So what do we, what do, we do with alcohol? Well, I'm not going to be able to draw those lines for you because God didn't draw those lines for all of us. Instead, we were told never, 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 never drunk Never be the carousing, partying type person. And alcohol often is used as lubrication to do more and more of that. No, alcohol is useful. It's useful for medicine. Uh, red wine is still of a considerable use for people with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, it has also shown great benefit in slowing cognitive decline. People who, and again, we have to be very careful with this. Because alcohol, the active ingredient is phenol, with a pH, phenol. Uh, and it's one of those very, very weird elements out there that becomes a poison with no gray area. So you start over here. Here's, here's, here's the alcohol blessing and curse meter, all right? And one drink, for most people, beneficial. Two drinks, mm, maybe. 
It, it's very much according to metabolism, brain chemistry and the like. Any more than that, it goes good for you, good for you, poison. And there's no gray area. So I would just submit, don't run up to the gray area. It's kind of like adultery. You know, how, how much can you get away with? Don't run up to the gray area and see how much you can get away with before it's really adultery. You know, it's not really sex. It's We're not supposed to be running to the gray area. We're supposed to be running to Jesus. So does that mean we should issue all alcohol, never let it touch our lips? If, if, if that's what you want, sure. But you can't judge another if they take a glass of red wine with their dinner or they have a beer after they've mowed the lawn. That's, um, of course, if you're buying a 12-pack of beer to drink while watching the game, that's a problem. Uh, that is just a problem. And we can sit and talk about why it's a problem and the different forms of problems it might be. But here, what's going on with Timothy? He has frequent stomach issues. I get that. I do. Uh, my doctor says I'm the only spastic small intestine he's ever seen. And he thinks it's because I carry too much weight and stress around. And I'm saying, what are you talking about? No, no, I don't. I don't do that. Um, and so I watch how much I eat. I used to be a much larger individual. I lost about, I guess, from my height, probably about 54, 55 pounds. And that was about eight, nine years ago. And I've kept it off and plan to. My body tells me to. Um, trying to um, eat more than I should gives me immediate issues. If I do much traveling, I can be, I can get food poisoning. I can, I can, that can hit me. So I just, I'm careful. Timothy did not have these options. And back then cleanliness was insisted upon, but they didn't understand the contact and germ theory and viruses. And so there were issues with food and water and drink. And so what did you do? You would mix water and wine. Now, when he says use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent uh, illnesses, he is talking about a diluted form of wine that does not mean that God only will let you have diluted wine. This is what he's talking about here. This is what people used back then for sore tummies and to give them comfort as they had frequent illnesses. Timothy may have had migraines. Timothy may have had IBS. Timothy may have had some um, you know, restless leg syndrome for all I know. There were other illnesses there. And I feel for him because here's Timothy with this massive job handed to him by Paul and his body, his spirit seems to be very much ready. And his intellect, I'm assuming was very much ready but his body was very weak and, and uh, I get that. I really do. Uh, I, I hurt for Timothy here. And so the little bit of diluted wine and by diluted, we don't necessarily mean way diluted. People adjusted it, you know, and in Scotland, we had this, um, and they still do an orange drink called quash. And um, you would, um, you don't drink it straight. You dilute it. It's a concentrate. Well, how much water do you put in? How much do you want? Well, that's kind of the way they did with their wine. Uh, again, full strength wine, absolutely, but never drunkenness. Full strength, whatever. The um, If you're wondering, well, what about scotch? And uh, what were the rules there? They didn't have hard liquors. Uh, that really came out of the medieval age. Uh, monks were the first ones to find it, making it out of herbs, juniper or jennifer it's sometimes called 
the um, precursor to Jen, and they called it aquavite, meaning the water of life, because it seemed to be a miracle medicine. It helped people's pains, rheumatism, headaches. It allowed them to sleep at night. And so they thought they had the, great, the greatest thing in the world here, and they called it the water of life. And so do you, by the way, when you call it whiskey, because whiskey comes from the Scottish Gaelic, muscabe, which means water of life. So that didn't come till much later. Distilling wasn't a part of the process here. Fermentation was. So have we talked enough about that? If you have questions, send those in, patrick at rsafeharbor.com, and we'll try to get to them. We won't get to them rapidly in another Monday morning message or another midweek Bible study, because these are recorded four to eight weeks ahead of time. In case I'm sick, out of town, there's an issue that these are uninterrupted. We want your weekly dose of Jesus to not be interrupted. And so we, but I will answer it in a special video or just answer your email, okay? All right, the sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious and even those that are not cannot be hidden. He's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful way, really. It's a super poetic way of saying it. He's saying, Timothy, you don't have to fix things. You don't have to worry about things. They'll be fixed. Everything will, will be taken care of by God. If these people are sinning and those, those sins are obvious, they're running ahead of them to the, the place of judgment. God already knows about this. And if they're not obvious, the sins will catch up with them. You don't have to shove the sins forward at them or grab them. or You don't have to fix things. Go through life with realizing it. You don't have to fix people. You don't have to fix things. Now, if you're a plumber, you know, fix the toilet. You, but I hope you know what I mean. You know, those two people aren't getting along. I must fix it. Or that person, that their doctor didn't seem to help them. I must fix that by, by going on the internet and finding a better way of treating, because you know, who needs medical school? You have Google. Um, you, you don't need to fix the traffic. You don't need to, you can just enjoy. You can just enjoy. God will sort it out. And then don't worry about people who don't know that you're doing good. Because he says, good deeds will become obvious even when it looks like they're not, it'll all work out. Now, do we have a place to play when it comes to things like justice and, and um, protecting our families and our children from immorality and attacks upon their faith? Of course we do, but we do it without worrying. We do it without fear. My, um, I think I've said this before, so excuse me. If I say it again, my three grandsons that live nearby uh, have, I'm a sense of wonder to them because I don't really have favorites. You know, let's see what's your favorite color, your favorite food, your favorite. I'm going, you know, I kind of like them all. And it, it's very true. And it's not easy going through life without favorites because everybody thinks you're lying to them, but there you are. <clears throat> and the other is I don't seem to have the fear gene. And the boys are at that age where what would happen if somebody broke into your house? Would you be afraid? No. Well, you wouldn't. No. Well, what if they grab sugar? That's their name for my wife, their grandmother. I said, no, I'd just respond appropriately. 
And this went on and on. And they were trying to dream up more and more scenarios. And my seven-year-old grandson turned to his older brothers and said, guys, and puts his hands out there. He always throws his hands out. Guys, he's trained for this. Cracked me up. Yeah, yeah, I went through all the training for that uh, more than once. But I've also gone through this training. Just do your job. No drama. You don't have to fix everybody else. And you don't have to worry that nobody noticed that you did a bunch of good stuff. It'll sort itself out. You just do your job. It, I've relieved you of this. No, actually, God has relieved you of this burden. I'm going to, although we're close to 30 minutes, if you'll give me two more verses, because um, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 really belong to this discussion. <clears throat> and I want to set it up for us to talk about next week a little bit more. Okay. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Now, I think a great number of us have been disappointed that Jesus just didn't declare an end to slavery and shut the whole system down. Paul doesn't hear either. But there are two levels of law here, moral and the secular authorities. Jesus had no power over the secular authorities unless you want him to become a heavenly dictator. Paul has zero power among secular authorities. But moral law, there, that's within the scope of what Jesus did and his followers do. And morally, the slave was now our brother, not to be treated as a slave, but as a member of the family with all due rights, all due considerations. And that's within a system that punished you greatly if you freed a slave. Uh, it, was, it was brutal. <clears throat> I did a series of Monday morning messages on the Bible and slavery. So go back and look at those if you did not. Um, because it explains the place of slavery in the different cultures, why it was instituted, the different ways it was instituted and carried out um, by far... Most were not like the American system of slavery, but or the or the even the current Muslim system of slavery in, in North Africa and the like. Um, they were a different form, but does, I can't go back and do all of those right now. So I think there were four or five of those. Go back and have a listen to those. They're they're relatively short, about half or less of what is here. Saying if you are a slave, do your job. Don't do something that would slander our God. God's reputation was very important to them. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they're to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. I think we're going to leave this and not come back to it next week because of all of those Monday morning messages we've done. But I want to give you an illustration. <clears throat> I worked once for a church that was majority serving Navy, United States Navy. We were only there a year and a half or so, I think. And all the ranks were there. And he said, exaggerating, I think we went up to commander. I don't think we went beyond that one. 
but from rank seaman just out of boot camp, maybe had one stripe over here that just says, you know, good boy, you showed up, uh, all the way up to a bunch of brass. On Sunday, when they worked together, they referred to each other as brother. I don't know if they used first names or not, because frankly, I wasn't paying attention. And I should have been. But this is 40 years ago, so 40, even more than 40 years ago. So give me a little bit of break for the impetuosity of youth. Um, but as soon as they hit that base, it was sir, yes, sir. It was yes, sir, or commander, or captain, or whatever it was, L, you know, LT. It changed because on base, this is what we do. But in our private life and who we really are, brothers. And I saw it work almost every time <clears throat> beautifully. I think that's what Paul's heading for here, saying I can't change the world but let's change the way we act within the system. All right, there are more instructions to give, but that's going to have to be next week. I hope you've been enjoying this slow walk through 1 Timothy. I'm aware, but there's a lot of stuff in here that people try to use and misuse, so we needed to have a good look. Hope you have a blessed week. Thank you for giving to us. Thank you for loving on us so well. Please watch us on Sundays and Monday morning message, and if we can help you or your church, does not, does not matter to us what name is on the church or what you call yourselves. If we can help you in any way, if you need me to come visit, if I can, I'll do it. I'm an old guy, got a long list of things to do, but we do try to get to people when we can. All right, God bless.